Uh, everyone, welcome again to Forest Park. My name is Matt Scollin. I have the, the honor and the privilege of serving here as an elder, um, and I uh, have the joy to bring uh, God's Word to all of us this morning uh, for the next several moments. Um, so if you would, would you join me uh, as we pray and ask for God's help to do just that? Yeah, Father, you, you are so good. You are so good to us. You have revealed yourself to us in creation, as we heard in our call to worship in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. You, you, you give us general revelation, but you are even more kind and gracious to give us your, your special revelation of your word um, and of yourself in the person and work of Jesus. And so we, we, we have nothing unless you first give it to us. We have nothing unless you first reveal it to us. And so God, in a posture of dependence, would you open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your law? Would you unite our hearts to fear your name? Um, would you incline our hearts to you this morning? Would you help us to, to learn from you and not just learn head knowledge, but would this knowledge transform our hearts that we may be people who proclaim in word and in deed how good you are, Lord Jesus. And we pray in your name. Amen. So in our uh, study of 1 Corinthians, we find ourselves at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you could go ahead and turn there as I do the same. As we come to 1 Corinthians 12, we remember that uh, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. He's addressing a series of topics with them. So this is the, uh, the ninth of ten major topics that he's addressing with them. Um, and he, the, these, these latter parts of the letter, he's, he's responding to things that they've written to him. So in chapter 7, verse 1, um, he says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote... And then he starts to list off a bunch of different things. So this is in response to a letter that the Corinthian church sent to Paul. So if this were 21st century, this would be Paul saying, hey, thanks, Corinthians, got your email, see, your, see my response to your questions in line below. He's just like responding to the questions that they've answered to him. And now we come to this topic that they've asked him about, which is spiritual gifts. And we'll see that just like the Corinthians were creating divisions by elevating some leaders over another in the first part of the book, just like they were creating divisions by uh, freaking out about food offered to idols and people flaunting things and not eating, and all, they were creating division, just like they were creating division by partaking in an unworthy and exclusive manner of the Lord's Supper, can you guess what they were doing in their practice of spiritual gifts? Yep, they were creating more division by how they were practicing spiritual gifts. And Paul, in this chapter, takes great pains to address this folly, but as we'll see, he doesn't just tell the Corinthians, hey, guys, cut it out, stop doing that. He does what all good teachers do. He appeals to something deeper. So he appeals to the very nature and character of God as he seeks to encourage the Corinthians, do not create divisions as you exercise spiritual gifts. So he, here's the main point. I'm going to just give it away before we even dig in. The main point of 1 Corinthians 12, this is kind of the lens that we'll be viewing the rest of the, the, the message through, is that God himself 
is the giver of diverse spiritual gifts for a united church body. God himself is the giver of diverse spiritual gifts for a united church body. And as we consider this chapter for the next several moments, I just want to give you the, the trajectory of, w- of what we'll be doing this morning. So um, we're going to read the whole chapter in one go. Um, I'm excited about that because the chapter really goes together. The ending analogy really seeks to explain the claims of the first part of the chapter, and the first part of the chapter is the grounding for which the analogy in the second part of the chapter uh, has, its, has its basis. So we're going to read the whole chapter in one go. And then, um, keeping in mind that main point, we're going to examine two things. We're going to examine the the purpose of spiritual gifts and the power behind spiritual gifts. I'll be pointing these out from verses at different parts throughout the chapter. We're not going to be going verse by verse in chronological order as we normally do, so keep your Bibles open. All right, Forest Park, hear now the reading of God's holy, authoritative, and infallible word. This is the word of God. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activity, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit." For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ 
and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will endure forever. So friends, there is a lot of confusion in the church about spiritual gifts. From my vantage point, we have uh, a tendency in the church to treat the, uh, the topic of spiritual gifts similarly to the way we treat many topics. Uh, we treat it in extremes. We can either elevate spiritual gifts so high that we emphasize the gifts over the giver of gifts, or perhaps in response to that, we diminish the spiritual gifts. We are suspicious of anything that might sniff of, of something spiritual or spiritual gifts. Um, but here's the thing, in either, of, in either of these extremes, there's still questions, right? We, don't, we know we don't wanna be on one side, we don't wanna be on the other. We wanna understand what does the Bible have to say about spiritual gifts? What are the emphases in the Bible about spiritual gifts? So before we, we dig into the text, I think it'd be helpful to sort of chat through a couple particulars of spiritual gifts. We have, we're going to talk about the purpose and the power of gifts, so the third P is for the particulars of spiritual gifts. So what, what, what is a working definition of spiritual gifts? What, what do spiritual gifts even mean? Well, Wayne Grudem de defines a spiritual gift as any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. A spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. Now, that's a pretty broad definition, isn't it? It includes gifts that are uh, supernatural, gifts that are natural in, in nature. And notice the two caveats of the definition, empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. And we'll talk about those two caveats in our message coming up. So what are some examples that the Bible gives of spiritual gifts? There are four main places in the Bible where spiritual gifts are talked about. Here in 1 Corinthians 12, in Ephesians 4, Romans 12, and 1 Corinthians 7. Now these lists, we know that they're representative and not exhaustive. So what that means is Paul gives examples of spiritual gifts, but these aren't the only spiritual gifts that exist. And we know that because in some lists, he lists some, and in other lists, he lists other gifts or leave some out. So it's not like there are only these and they are set in stone and you can have no other spiritual gifts. These are examples. They are representative and not exhaustive. What are some examples? What are some of the gifts that Paul lists? Prophecy, teaching, miracles, healings, helps, administration, tongues, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, distinguishing between spirits, interpretation of tongues, evangelism, serving, encouraging, contributing, you can see there, there are a bunch of gifts that are listed. And, and the last particular that I wanna chat through just very quickly is there, there's some difference in the church in understanding how the miraculous spiritual gifts function today. So there are some Jesus-loving, Bible-believing Christians who believe that the miraculous spiritual gifts like speaking in tongues and healings ceased with the ministry of the apostles. And there are Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christians who believe that God still gives miraculous spiritual gifts to his church today. 
And so what's important for our purposes here is not to debate the merits of one or the other, but to recognize that we have brothers and sisters who might have a different viewpoint than we do on this topic, but to keep in mind what we'll see in this passage, the main point of the passage, let there be no division among you. So let's hold, let's hold our convictions loosely and recognize that we, we all believe the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ. So with our definition and some examples of spiritual gifts, let's move on to our first main point, the purpose. What is the purpose of spiritual gifts? Why does God give his church spiritual gifts? We see two main reasons in the text. The first main reason that God gives his church spiritual gifts is for the common good. Would you look with me at verse seven, please? To each is given the manifestation of the spirit. Why? for the common good. Or look with me at verse 24 and following. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Spiritual gifts in the church are not ends in and of themselves. The point is not the gift itself, as if you have some sort of badge of honor by having a gift and it's all about you. The point is the application of that gift for the common good. This is one place where spiritual gifts and regular gifts differ. If my brother Dean gifted me a new pair of AirPods, I would say, thank you, Dean, and then I would put them in my ears and listen to music, and I would not use them for the common good of the church. That is a regular gift. So. Now you know what I want for my birthday, Dean, so thank you very much. Um, spiritual gifts, however, are different in that one of the main purposes of spiritual gifts, it's not self-focused, it's others-focused, it's outward-focused. Spiritual gifts equip the church to carry out its ministry until Christ returns. What's another way to think of the common good? Uh, the common good is the building up of the church. And of course we know church doesn't just mean the church building. In Paul's context, church means the church in Corinth, the local church. In our context, it means Forest Park Church. God gives Forest Park Church spiritual gifts to build up Forest Park Church. We're talking about the local church. We're talking about the people sitting across the aisle from you, sitting one row behind you, one row in front of you. The people in Forest Park Church, our, our members here, that is what we're talking about when we're talking about building up the church, building one another up. So if the purpose of spiritual gifts is the common good, the building up of the church, what, what does this look like? Well, if you're thinking, okay, how do I know if I'm, I'm building up the church by exercising my spiritual gifts? Here are, here are some maybe diagnostic questions we could ask. One, is my gift or my service or my activity seeking to meet physical needs of members of the church? So I think of Acts 2, where the church, uh, the early church in Acts said they had all things in common. They were selling their goods and giving money to people who need it. They were meeting physical needs. Or I think of, uh, so 2 Corinthians 8, Paul is talking about the church in Macedonia. And those guys were having a really hard time. They were being thrown in prison. They were, uh, they were being persecuted. They were suffering. And yet this church gave over and above what they really could to help support other churches. And Paul praises them in 2 Corinthians 8. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. And he's talking about how they've 
giving out of their, their, their want, their giving. The grace of God, that's a, that's a gift. They're, they're gifted by God with this supernatural joy as they're afflicted, but they're giving to help meet physical needs of other brothers and sisters that they probably had not even met. Is this the gift of helps by chance? This is, this is a gift meeting physical needs. Another diagnostic question you can ask, okay, am I seeking to build up the church with my gift? Am, am I meeting a physical need? Am I encouraging one another? Is my gift, is your gift seeking to encourage brothers and sisters here in Forest Park Church? Think of 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Or Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The, the, the purpose of spiritual gifts is to build up the church by encouraging one another. And finally, in pointing one another in word and in deed to Jesus. When I see brothers and sisters here in Forest Park serving faithfully, exercising their gifts faithfully, it points me to Jesus. When I see Neil painstakingly studying and, and striving to, to preach a sermon, use his gift of teaching to point us to Jesus, that makes me worship the Lord. When I see Ricky picking up the communion cups or Linda serving in Ignite, like that, that, that service, that points me to the Lord, that points me to Jesus. For gifts involving teaching, one question to ask, are we, are we teaching true things about Jesus? Are we pointing people to the true Jesus that we see in the word? Are we ourselves steeped in the word? For those who practice miraculous spiritual gifts, are, is that practice of those gifts, is it serving to point people to Jesus? Is that the, the aim of that gift? Friends, when we use our spiritual gifts for the common good, as the scripture says, what is the result of that? Look at me please at verse, or look with me please at verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Mutual rejoicing, mutual joy is the result of honoring and serving and encouraging one another. Mutual joy is the result of using your giftedness for the common good of the church. Haven't we all experienced this? Haven't we all experienced the joy that it is to use a gift or uh, an ability that maybe comes naturally to me, but is a real gift or service to someone else? There's joy in that. There's joy when we build one another up, when we encourage one another. Joy in the act, yes, but also joy in knowing we're being obedient to the Lord. There's joy in obedience, in loving one another as Christ has loved us. A result of using spiritual gifts for the common good is mutual rejoicing. And also, it's an outward picture of the gospel. I think of Jesus' famous words in John 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. When we use and exercise our spiritual gifts for the good of others, it displays to a watching world that it is more blessed to give than to receive. We display to a watching world that our Savior gave himself, that he came to serve, 
that we would be recipients of that grace. We, we display the gospel when we use our spiritual gifts to encourage and serve one another for the building up of the body. So that's the first purpose that we see in the text. The first purpose of spiritual gifts is for the common good of the church. So the second purpose that we see in the text of spiritual gifts is this, to demonstrate unity in the church through a diversity of gifts, to demonstrate the unity of the church through a diversity of gifts. So would you look with me at uh, verses 24 and 25? This kind of serves as the grounding of that claim. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So notice, God so composed the body that the member, uh, that uh, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. So there's that diversity. The members are different. There are different people, different, different positions, different places. But then look at verse 25, that. That word that, that's a purpose statement. That's, that's saying, okay, what I'm about to say is grounded in what I said before. What I, what I said before is the purpose for what I'm about to say. That there may be no division in the body. A united church is one of the reasons that God gives diverse spiritual gifts to his body. Where else do we see this theme in the text? We see it all over. It's really the main point of the chapter. Look at verses four through six. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities. It is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Varieties, diversity of gifts, unity in identity. Same Lord. Or look at verses uh, 8 through 11. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. You picking up on the theme? Ancient Greek didn't have a highlight button or an italicized button or a bold button. When they wanted to emphasize something, they repeated it over and over again. And what does Paul repeat here? Same spirit, same spirit, same spirit. You have a diversity of gifts, but it's the same spirit that enables them all in everyone. Or look at verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. These people had different ethnic backgrounds, different economic backgrounds. There was a diversity of backgrounds, and they were baptized into one spirit. Diversity, unity. A couple more observations of this theme. Look, at, um, look with me again at verses four through six. Did you notice the Trinitarian formula there? Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but the same God. We have the spirit, we have Lord, which is the Greek word kyrios, which is used to refer to Jesus, and we have God, the Greek word theos, which is what the Greek Old Testament uh, translates God into. 
Spirit, Lord, God, the Trinity. Even in the Trinity, we see a diversity of persons, but a unity of purpose. Paul grounds this idea of diversity of gifts, but unity of purpose in the very nature of the triune God himself. And consider with me the the metaphor that comes at the end of the the chapter, this, this body metaphor. It's easy enough to understand, right? Like sometimes metaphors are hard, like the whole, like old wineskins, new wine, like I don't even really remember what that means. This is a pretty easy metaphor to grasp, right? One body, many members. God designed our physical bodies with different parts, but they all work together in one unified body. Great, tracking, I get it. Um, And it's the same way in the local church regarding spiritual gifts. We know this is about spiritual gifts because in verse 12 it says, for just as the body, which means, oh, we're about to elaborate on what we were just talking about and what he was just talking about with spiritual gifts. Um, so think of, think of a football team, um, and I'm wading into dangerous waters because I'm not really a football player, so I'm about to try and make a football analogy, so here we go. Um, think of a football team. What if everyone on that team were a quarterback? The, like, the flashiest position, everyone knows their name. What if they were all quarterbacks? I don't know that much about football, but I think that team would lose every game that they would play. What would you say to a quarterback on that team who looked down on other people on his team, who looked down on special teams, or who looked down on the defensive end? You would call that quarterback a prideful fool. Look at me with me at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Do you see that? There's that, there's that spirit there of exclusivism, of thinking, I don't need people who are... I, I don't need other gifts. I don't need you. I don't need you on my team. But do we see how foolish that is? The point of a diversity of gifts is a unified church. We need one another. So what's an immediate implication of everyone having different gifts in the church? I mean, after all, no one has all spiritual gifts, right? We see that at the end of the text. Paul has a bunch of rhetorical questions. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? He expects the answer to be no. Not everyone is an apostle. Not everyone teaches. So, so no one has all spiritual gifts, which means you, friend, are insufficient to accomplish God's purposes for the church on your own. You need brothers and sisters in Christ who have been differently gifted to accomplish God's mission on earth. And part of this different giftedness is this idea that some gifts might seem more flashy in the world's eyes and some gifts a little bit more boring. Um, We kind of see that in society, right? Like people really prize the exciting things and they kind of downplay the less exciting things. I mean, by society's standards, what, administration? Really? The, The gift of administration? Boring. That's boring, is what the world would say. Helps? What even is helps? Boring. Give me prophecy. Give me Hogwarts for Christians in California and teach me to do miracles and all. Yeah, but the, the only problem with that is, is what, is, what does the Bible say? What does Paul say? Look at, look, at, uh, look at verse 23, actually 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. 
less flashy spiritual gifts in the church are to be highly prized. And doesn't this have the aroma of Christ? The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. If you want to be great, be the servant of all. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Friends, do you view less flashy spiritual gifts with greater honor? Do you prize the so-called mundane or boring as essential to the mission of Christ on earth right alongside the flashy gifts? And this, this, this beautiful unity through a diversity of gifts, of exciting gifts, of not exciting gifts, quote-unquote, what this really does is it points us to the multifaceted splendor of God himself. No one person has all spiritual gifts, but the giver of all gifts gives out of himself. There is one who is the perfect teacher, the perfect prophet, the perfect king. He is the healer. He is the shepherd. He works miracles. He is the consummate, detail-oriented administrator. He perfectly shows hospitality by welcoming in all who come to him and not casting anyone out. Seeing diverse gifts in the body of Christ leads us to worship the omniscient, unified God in whom all of these diverse gifts originate. So we've addressed these two purposes of spiritual gifts. We, we've said that they're for the common good, which we saw in the text, and they're for the unity of the church through diverse gifts, which is the main point of the text. But our, our second topic that we're going to address briefly as we close is what is the power behind these spiritual gifts? What does the word have to say about the power behind spiritual gifts? Who empowers spiritual gifts? I bet you all would get this one right on the multiple choice test. God, God, the triune God empowers spiritual gifts in his church. Look, look at verse six. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Verse seven, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit. God gives the spirit. Verse 11 all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. God Almighty is the one who empowers spiritual gifts in his people. And this idea of God empowering us to do his work, that's evident, obviously, throughout all of Scripture. I, I think of, of just a few examples. In a couple chapters, we'll see Paul say, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Or Philippians 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Or Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. There is a way to operate in this world, in the church, not depending on our own strength, but the strength that God provides. In the church, I can white-knuckle it and force my way through doing some task. I could rely on myself, my own innate abilities. Eh, I got this. I don't need to pray. I don't need to spend time on the Word. I'll just, I'll do it live. It's going to be fine. 
But that is not a way to depend on the enabling and empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in my life to accomplish ministry in the church. I need to be in prayerful dependence on him. I need to be reminding myself of his promises. I need to be looking for him to increase and myself to decrease. Trying to do things in my own power without remembering it's God who empowers spiritual gifts. That's a recipe of disaster. And look please at verse 12, actually verse 13. For in one spirit we all were baptized into one body Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. When we turn from our sins and trust in Christ, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's Ephesians 1. God pours his spirit out that we may drink and be strengthened, not only into salvation, but unto the work that he has for us. We drink from the river of living water, our living hope. We must remember this truth as we exercise our gifts. We are working out of the new power and the new identity we have as those sealed with the Holy Spirit. So you got the question right on the multiple choice test. God, check, is the answer, is the the power behind our spiritual gifts. But notice one other detail that I think Paul makes uh, pains to emphasize in this chapter. The triune God who is the power behind our spiritual gifts is a sovereign God. Look with me at verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Look with me at verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose Or verse 24, God has so composed the body. Verse 28, God has appointed in the church. Friends, God is completely sovereign. He gives gifts as he wills. This is not dependent on you or me. The text does not say, all right, people, go ahead and arrange yourself into a body and figure it out. The text does not say the body is arranged based on whatever the members decided for themselves they're going to be. The members of the body did not take a vote on how they were going to be arranged. The members of the body did not form a committee. I know we're Baptists, we love committees, but the members of the body did not form a committee and say, all right, what would make the most sense for us to arrange ourselves? No, the text says God arranged the body as he chose. And if God appoints spiritual gifts, he empowers spiritual gifts. They're exactly that. Spiritual gifts are spiritual. In fact, the very first verse, now concerning spiritual gifts, you know, in the Greek, there isn't, the word gifts isn't even there. It's implied based on the, the um, gender and the case of, of the noun, but it really is just spiritual. The, the emphasis is spiritual. This is the Holy Spirit's work. He empowers. Of course, we have innate abilities on our own, but if we are not depending on the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the ministry the Lord has for us, we are seeking to use our gifts in a way that will not bear much fruit. Because when we rely on God's power, no one less than the third person of the eternal Godhead is empowering our efforts. And so friends, as we wrap up, I I wanna look at some applications from what we've considered about the purpose of spiritual gifts and the power 
behind spiritual gifts. Why, why do I care about this? This is all nice, okay, cool, but what does this have to do with me? What are some implications of what we've been considering? Let's consider several of these together. So first, what, what is the result of, of knowing and believing God's sovereignty in distributing spiritual gifts? Knowing that God gives as he chooses and God is the one who empowers, what does that lead to? Well, it leads to humility. What do you have that you have not first been given? God is the giver of gifts. That leads to a humble church, a humble people when we believe that. It leads to dependence. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Holy Spirit is empowering your efforts, they will bear little fruit for the kingdom. We are utterly needy people. We need God to work in and through us. It leads to contentment. When we remember God has given us gifts, we can say with Paul, I have learned in all things to be content. God gave me this gift, whatever it is, and he is wise. I can trust him. And it leads to worship. Oh, the riches, the wisdom of God. He is wise to give diverse spiritual gifts to his body. He is the one in whom all gifts have their source. He is worthy of praise. Another application, knowing that diverse gifts serve to unify the church. Friends, do you celebrate other people's gifts? Do you thank God for other people's spiritual gifts here at Forest Park? Do you thank other people? Do you thank them for their gifts that you've noticed them exercising faithfully? Do you feel what Paul says? If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. I know we'd never, we'd never say it out loud, but if you're like me, if I'm being honest, there are sometimes gifts that I look down upon. I'm better than that. I don't, I don't need to do that. That's ugly. That's, that's ugly. Do we have that spirit in us where we don't prize others' gifts um, yeah, do we think that we're better than other people because we have a different gift than them? How are you seeking to apply your gift? Here we go, getting into applications of gift. For the common good of the church? For the building up of the church? Or are you seeking to apply your gift for your own name, for your own selfish gain, for people to think well of you? Hmm. Yeah, I, as I was... Um, thinking through this this morning, I, the Lord was kind enough to sort of reveal to me, like, Matt, are you, are you caring more this morning about what people will think of you, or are you caring more that the gospel is proclaimed, that people will hear and respond to the gospel? And I was grateful for that rebuke from the Lord, because I can fall into the trap of caring more about what people think about me than God's word being put forward. Are you exercising your gift for the common good or for your own selfish purposes? And, and just as an aside, this is, this is one of the reasons why we do what we do with music in our church. Yes, people up front have been gifted by God in music, but, but we strive to use our gifts in a way that does not make the point us, but makes the point Jesus. We want people to leave saying, wow, Jesus is great, not wow, the band is great. 
We pick songs in keys that people can sing, can participate in. We try to simplify arrangements to take the focus off of us and put it on Jesus. We're seeking to use our gifts for the common good of the church. So what are your spiritual gifts? Are you thinking, okay, great, okay, I, I get all this theory, but I don't know, I don't know about me. What, what about my spiritual gifts? What, I don't know if I have them. What are they? How can I discern spiritual gifts? Well, number one, pray. The text says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. Pray to your Father. Say, Lord, I, I know you've gifted me. Help me to know what that is. Give me wisdom to know how I can serve you with the gifts you've given me to, to further the gospel, to, to magnify your name. Pray. Ask the Lord. Take some time this afternoon. Lord, what are my gifts? How have you gifted me? Would you show me in your grace? You can ask community, right? You can ask those that you're in community with, where do you see that I'm gifted? And friends, if gifts are to be exercised in community, they're to be discerned in community as well. We need one another. We have blind spots. I need Barrett speaking into my blind spots, saying, hey, bro, I know you think that you're good at this, but you're maybe try another thing to, to serve, right? Like we need people to, to help discern how God has gifted us. And number three, this is maybe the most important, like start serving. Like you're not gonna know if you're good at something or if you're gifted at something unless you try. There are a lot of places to serve in Forest Park Church right now. Start serving. Take a step of faith. Say, Lord, I, I, I don't know if you've gifted me in this way, but I know you do give gifts to your children. I want to I step out in obedience and try and serve and exercise my gift for your glory in this way. Just start. Just try. And if you're bad, Barrett will tell you, no, it's not your gift, okay? Um, and as I, as I conclude, um, maybe there are some here thinking, do I, do I even have a spiritual gift? Like, I don't, I don't think I have any spiritual gifts. Like, I, I think God skipped me. Um, so how can you tell? How can you tell if you have a spiritual gift or not? Look with me, um, look with me please at verse seven. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have a spiritual gift. And then that leads us to, a, okay, maybe another question. How do I know if I have the Holy Spirit? I, I don't know if I have the Holy Spirit. Let's look at verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're here, and your opinion of Jesus isn't that he's a bad guy. You think he probably was a pretty good guy. He taught some good stuff about loving your neighbor. But if you're being honest... This whole Jesus is Lord thing, okay, I could just say the words, but I don't know if I, if I really mean that. If he, he doesn't have any real impact on your life. He, he's more, not necessarily your Lord, but maybe your therapist who you go to for good advice. Or maybe he's your coach who just kind of rubs your shoulders and says, get, get back to it, you can do it. Or maybe he is your benevolent if impotent grandfather who is just happy with everything that you do and just go for it, I love you, just keep doing what you're doing. If that describes how you view Jesus, friends, hear me say with love, that is not 
saying Jesus is Lord. That is not viewing Jesus as Lord. Viewing Jesus as Lord is surrendering to him. It's loving him. It's following him because in him are the words of eternal life. He is your ultimate allegiance. Nothing in this world has a more prominent place in your life than the Lord Jesus Christ. You live your life not to please yourself or others, but him who died and was raised for you. If you are not a Christian, may I lovingly implore you this morning, accept Christ, be reconciled to him. The offer of the gospel is for all that Jesus lived the life you could never live in perfect obedience to his Father. He died the death that your sins earned, the wages of sin, the payment for sin is death. Jesus took that payment for you by dying on the cross, and he displayed his victory over sin and death by rising from the dead, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. If you have not surrendered to him this morning, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You need to accept Christ. You need to trust him. You need to follow him. You need to love him. You need to come to him, and he will not cast you out. And if you are a Christian, guess what? You have the Holy Spirit, which means you have a spiritual gift. Your heavenly Father did not leave you out. He did not skip you. The Holy Spirit of God has apportioned a gift to you for the building up of his church until Christ returns. Saying, I don't think I have a gift, that's not humility. That is unbelief. That is disobedience. God loves you and has given you a gift to serve the church for his glory. You, friend, are a member of the body with Christ as the head. You have been given a gift for a reason. So use it for the glory of God and the good of his bride. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you apportion gifts to your church to carry out your ministry until you come back, Jesus. And you give us gifts because we need them. We cannot do the work that you have for us in our own strength. We need the empowering work of the Holy Spirit to love one another, to proclaim the gospel, to be united We need you, God. We need you. Oh, how we need you. And so would you um, help us to discern our gifts, and would you help us to apply our gifts for the good of the church and for the glory of your name? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're coming to the time in our service where we get to sit at the table, where we get to see a visible manifestation of the unity that we have as the body of Christ as we all partake of one bread and one cup together. Communion is a visible picture of the gospel. We have all been baptized into Christ when we believe in him, and so we can partake of these elements as one family. So if we could have the communion servers come forward and begin to distribute communion, we will um, pass these elements out And then we will, as one family, uh, take communion together.
as surely as you taste the bread in your mouth, and as surely as you taste this juice, so surely has Christ's body been broken for you. So surely has his blood been spilled for you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for your blood that washes away our sin. Thank you that your body was broken on that tree in place where our should have been broken. You bore the wrath of God, the just wrath of God, thereby propitiating, turning away God's wrath so that we could exist and live under God's favor and love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your grace. Jesus, we love you and we need you and we praise you. In your name we pray, amen.